Hello, Internet, and welcome to Close Up. I'm your host, Joe. <laughs> I'm Ryan. And today we're going to be talking about the Book of Boba Fett. A quick message from Joe of the Future while I edit this podcast. I wanted to warn you up front, this episode contains major spoilers for the Book of Boba Fett, the entire series. We do our best to refrain from spoilers throughout our recording, but a few minor ones sneak through before the major points. And we don't give a long warning before diving into the biggest plot points. So maybe come back once you've seen the series. We also discuss plot points from The Mandalorian Season 2 Finale and Rebels Season 4. By the way, this is the uh, first time I'm seeing this guy face-to-face in about five years. I know. It's crazy. You have so much hair now. I know. It's a pandemic look. Close Up is the name of the show, and we're going to start with an extreme long shot before getting up close. So I thought we could begin with talking about what does Star Wars mean to us? Where are we coming from here? Talking about the Book of Boba Fett. You want to start or should I start? Sure, I'll start. So I basically grew up on Star Wars. My dad introduced it to me when I was very young. He introduced me to the originals, I think, before watching the prequels when they were coming out. Well, that's the proper order, of course. It's the proper order. And then he, I was very young, but he very easily explained to me how prequels and originals worked. And then as the prequels were coming out, I was just obsessed with them as a kid. I think I remember bringing a DVD copy of Revenge of the Sith to a Mexico vacation with my family. I don't know how they let me watch it every night, but they did. So you could say that Star Wars is a is a big part of my life. My uncle is a also a pretty big Star Wars fan, and we do talk about it sometimes, but... I think I'm a little more obsessed than he is, but don't tell him that. That's cool. For me, I was introduced to Star Wars pretty early on in my life. My mother was the one who introduced me. She grew up with it. And when she first watched it in in the theater in 1977, she was blown away by it. It was a lifelong fandom for her because she never expected to like it so much. She expected to hate it, and she was grumbling the whole time going in. Well, so she introduced it to my brother and I, passed that love along. Star Wars is actually what got me into directing and filmmaking, because I remember when I was a kid, my brother used to love the Duel of the Fate sequence from Phantom Menace, and he would insist we watch that scene every single day (laughs) for I don't know how many weeks on end. Not even the whole Phantom Menace, just the Duel of the Fates. And at a certain point, something kind of clicked in my brain when I was seven years old watching that scene on repeat. And I'm like, oh, this is a really cool thing. I think I want to make movies and do stuff like this, you know, blow some kid's mind like, like me at seven years old. So yeah, filmmaking, storytelling, that's really integral to my identity as I describe myself to people nowadays. So it's a really big part of my life that way. So yeah, that brings us to Book of Boba Fett. We followed it all these years through highs and lows and disappointments and massive successes. And I think our first connection with Star Wars is when we were back in university in the Winters building, shout out York. Uh, And you and your roommate, you guys had lightsabers in your room. And I, oh, was yeah, geeking, yeah. I was geeking out. 
I was yeah, we like, had the, wow, we had I can't the replicas. Yeah. I know. And I was so jealous. I still haven't bought one, but I'm almost I'm almost there. Yeah, they, they're they're a little 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 pricey, but they're uh, they're pricey, worth it. But it's worth it. Thankfully, this guy was cheaper. He's cheaper than a two hundred dollar lightsaber. But he's he just sits here. He's the homie. I'm glad you got a prop. I was gonna make a Lego Boba Fett head figure that I got a while back, Ooh. but I just I never got around to making it. So Legos are fun. Worst yeah. part is he's a little he's a little hard, but that's okay. Okay, so we're still on the extreme long shot. So what? did a Boba Fett series mean to us? So after all these years in the Star Wars fandom, how did it feel when we heard Boba Fett was getting his own TV show? I'm going to be 100% honest. I'm a fan, longtime fan of the originals, the prequels. I will defend some of the sequels, not a lot. Mostly just Force Awakens. Mostly. And like sprinklings after that. Yeah. I have never liked Boba Fett character. I shocker, I know, and it's almost it's blasphemous to say. Yeah. I will name off everything objective that he does in the originals. He puts a tracking device on the Millennium Falcon. Very important. And that's it. <laughs> that's all he does. Some people say well he froze Han and Carbonite. Nope, that was Vader. It wasn't him. And it's how he was treated in the movies, more likely. Yes, I know there's books and comic books and all that. So I wasn't too excited when this show was coming out. I think I started watching it when the first two episodes aired. I didn't keep up with it weekly until episode four, which I'm glad I did. We're starting to get to that point of franchise saturation where even with all the shows coming out for whether it's Marvel, Star Wars, DC, what have you, we're getting to that point where I, I as a longtime fan of these things, start feeling like I got to pick and choose now. I'm like, eh, Boba Fett, do I really want to bother? It's Star Wars, but yeah, is it worth my sure. time? I don't know. I felt like there was going to be a show, and I was worried about it, and when he did show up in the second season of Mandalorian, spoilers, but where have you been? Yeah. And they gave him some cool scenes, and his fighting scenes, and made his character pretty cool. It's like, okay, I understand why people like him, and he is a cool character. I'll give the show a shot. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I was pretty similar. Boba Fett was never my favorite, but I, I was always into the expanded lore growing up, and I knew some of the old Legends Boba Fett stories, and I really liked the Mandalorian stuff, the that he was a clone and the son of Jango Fett, this famed bounty hunter. I think the prequels did a lot to make me appreciate Boba Fett as a character. And I was really excited to see Tamara Morrison was coming back to play Boba Fett in live action, which was pretty nuts to me. It was like, oh, my childhood, but he's Boba Fett. So that's <laughs> not Jango. That's weird. Yeah, so I was hesitant, but mostly looking forward to it. And I, I really liked the pitch that it was sort of a Godfather meets Star Wars sort of thing. Like, oh, mm -hmm. Boba Fett's going gangster on Tatooine, taking over Jabba's crime operations. Okay, this, this seems like a pretty interesting premise. You got me hooked just from how it sounds. It sounds interesting. So that was our extreme long shot. Now we zoom into a medium shot. Like you were saying before, the book of Boba Fett is from the brain of Jon Favreau who co-created The Mandalorian with Dave Filoni, praise his name. <laughs> he developed the Book of Boba Fett alongside 
Robert Rodriguez was a main creative force behind the scenes, I think. And he, he's the one who did episode six of The Mandalorian season two, where Boba Fett featured prominently. If you're here, you, you know who Boba Fett is. You probably know the deal. And we explained. Yeah, to be clear, if you're here and you haven't watched the show yet, what are you doing? If you're here for support, we love it. But like, go watch the show and then come back. That's the fun of this. And if for some reason you have no idea who Boba Fett is, just a brief recap. About 30 years before this series starts, you find out that Boba Fett's father was a famous bounty hunter. He belonged to a clan of armored warriors in the Star Wars universe called Mandalorians. He, the father, Jango Fett, ended up being employed by these cloning aliens named Kaminoans to take his DNA and create an army of guys who looked just like him, had his skills, which I guess he was just a genetic specimen. So this Jango Fett decided to get himself an unaltered clone to raise as a son, and that's Boba Fett. And uh, spoilers for Attack of the Clones, if you haven't seen it, but once again, if you haven't, what are you doing here? Jango Fett was murdered in that movie, and Boba Fett had to take his armor Fast forward about 20 years, he becomes one of the most feared mercenaries, bounty hunters in the galaxy. Works for the likes of Darth Vader. And uh, now he's got his own show. So with all that background out of the way, we're into a close-up, name of the show, and let's go. We'll try to refrain from spoilers till later, but, well, we've already... Uh, I make no promises. I make no promises. We're already into it. <laughs> So let's keep it going. I'd like to start with a quote. Pen down from the twin sons of Tatooine. We're now close on the mouth of the Sarlacc pit. After a beat, the gloved Mandalorian armor gauntlet of Boba Fett grabs onto the sand outside the Sarlacc pit, and the fear bounty hunter pulls himself from the maw of the sand beast, and we realize he survived his fall during the Battle of Jabba's palace ship. Any fans of Parks and Recreation will know that's the famous... Speech delivered by Patton Oswald predicted the show. The fact that they went so meta with that is just, it's perfect. You can tell that there's just not only fans of Star Wars, but fans of fans of Star Wars. I heard that, that he did that scene as an improv. Oh, he, wow. He, was just, he just, he just said, talk about whatever you want. And he thought Star Wars. So he just sort of riffed on that. And that was yeah seven years ago. I don't know if they made the opening scene based on that or if it was completely incidental. But the fact that Parks and Rec, of all things, predicted the opening of the show was yeah. impressive. Maybe someone, while they were writing it, they just had Parks and Rec on in the background. And they're like, that's a good idea. Who knows? Maybe <laughs> you should write that. Maybe John Favreau is a fan. What they didn't take into account is, I'm going to take a nap for about, <laughs> for about two days while I come out of the Starlight Pit. Honestly, I don't blame them. I'd probably do the same thing. It's an intense environment. Now that we've done all that setup, let's get into our first impressions. How did the series make us feel in the beginning, by the end? So for me, I was interested at the start. The first episode didn't blow me away, but it intrigued me. And it started, it was very back and forth for most of the series, my opinion. I was really interested in some parts, less interested in others. 
the funniest part is that this was billed as a gangster series and that was about only a third of the plot and it was the least interesting part of the whole show (laughs) so I, i was way more interested in this tuscan raider flashback sequence that took prominence in the first four episodes that was a really interesting tonal shift it was about spirituality and philosophy Mm -hmm. and this this stoic badass boba fett learning to become uh, a more well-rounded person although as we'll cover later i think they dropped the ball on that particular character arc but i do appreciate that they were trying to turn him into a version of the character we weren't expecting and i think that plot line also did a lot for Tuscan culture uh, before we kind of see them mostly as these savage killers who enslave people on Tatooine and mm-hmm. raid the villages. But now they're a distinct culture with their own traditions and background. And they were treated with respect in this show. And it made me open my eyes to see Oh, well, you know, maybe maybe there is some corners of the Star Wars universe that have been neglected. And I like that we're doing a deep dive on stuff like this now. Yeah, I didn't see that coming with the Tusken Raiders at all. Yeah, I didn't think they were going to be like treated with that type of respect. That's kind of why I don't hate on this series as much as other people are doing, because there are some elements that are just so different that you just wouldn't expect. Yeah, I think. We all kind of realized after that first episode that this show wasn't going to be for everybody. This wasn't a violent gangster epic with a lot of action and whatnot. This was a more slow burn series about Mm -hmm. more of a character study, which once again, I think they dropped the ball if the focus was supposed to be on character. You know, let's just kind of get into that. I think it dropped the ball with the focus on character because after those first few episodes, Boba Fett sort of took a backseat in his own show. There's two whole episodes of this show where he's he doesn't even have a word to say. And one whole episode, he's not even in. Mm-hmm. And for a guy whose name's in the title, with only seven episodes in the season, mind you, that's that's not great. No, it's not. And I've seen people try to make certain arguments like oh well, he already has so much backstory he already has so much lore that you don't really need to make have him in every single episode but also like this is his show it's his show for people who don't read the comics who don't play he's in some video games who don't know any of the expanded lore if you thought that... his lore was enough going into this then why even make a show Exactly. And also, like, you're doing a complete 180 on what people are expecting on character development. And when you only have seven episodes and he, he's in about 5.1 of them. And he doesn't even talk in one of them. Exactly. It's not a good gamble. And there's too much focus on, I feel, on different characters like the mods who are the biker gang with this cybernetic implants. One's got a scope who I got to talk about later cuz he does the most ridiculous thing in the finale. I think I know what you're you know what I'm saying. But, I think I know where you're going, yeah. And there my first impressions of the show is it's trying to do too much for how little time they have. 
it's simultaneously trying to do too much. And also this series didn't need to be seven episodes. You could have told the same plot in probably a two hour movie. If you cut out some of the fat. Yeah. Like I, I, like I know way back when Disney first bought Lucasfilm, the rumor was there was going to be a Boba Fett standalone film alongside Rogue One and Solo, a Star Wars story. Boba Fett was going to be one of the movies. And I think, Josh Trank was attached to that. But then after uh, the fan four stick debacle, I think and he sort of he sort of went off the deep end. There was some controversies, I think, and they fired him. I think that's what happened. But I'm stretching my memory like 10 years now. Yeah, that was a long time ago. It was all felt like it was almost yesterday. So with the success of The Mandalorian, Tamara Morrison comes back. Oh, well, sure. Miniseries on Disney Plus. Well, Disney Plus wasn't even a thing when they were first talking about a Boba Fett project. I don't know if it needed to be a miniseries. Yeah, it's really odd because I'm really in between on this show. For to me, I don't want to give my rating yet, but I did enjoy most of it. And I wasn't being too critical of it because my expectations going into it were pretty low. Because I didn't really care for the character. Yep. But other than that... You know, most of it I didn't enjoy. Were there some silly stuff and some parts were like a little boring? Yes, but basically the show is what it fails to do is heighten its main character. It does a great job of heightening the side characters like Finnick and Chrysanson. I'm saying his name wrong. The the Wookiee bounty hunter. Even freaking the Rancor Keeper. Danny Trejo. Yeah. He gets, he gets a moment. But your side characters should ele- elevate your main character as much as it elevates them. And the main character. He kind of drops the ball. Lets, yeah, they drop the ball. They kind of just let things happen and then he reacts to them. What got me was they're setting up this redemption arc for him. Like, there were some lines of character throws in his face in the very last episode and they talk about oh you're you're a cold-blooded killer you were always a killer you'll you'll always be a, a cold-blooded killer that sort of deal and from what we know about boba fett this is true darth vader points him right in the face and says no disintegrations you know this is a this is a tough dude and he's like okay but for this entire series all we see is him making well i, I wrote about this elsewhere but I think it's an it's a good comparison to say that watching this show was like playing a Star Wars RPG and watching a fully light side playthrough. <laughs> it's like I didn't see the darkness yeah, like, in him at all. Exactly, you're just clicking the. I haven't played any a lot of Star Wars R, uh, RPGs, but I play Mass Effect, and it's just choosing the like the good answer every time. Just That's because what it felt like just because because you want to get that level up. There were multiple moments in this show where people showed him disrespect and he just let it slide because, oh, well, maybe I can use that later. Maybe I could, you know, show mercy. And I'm like, you know, what would a real gangster in this position do this? Probably not. No. Or he has Finnick kill him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can say he's playing the long game and, you know, I'd understand once again with the RPG comparison, it just feels like. I'm a gangster in this story, but I'm choosing the good playthrough just to say I did the good thing. Not because it's what makes sense, but just because I didn't want my character to look bad. (laughs) Yeah. 
it just felt really weird. And I don't know if if there was like budget restraint. Well, clearly there's no budget restraints. It's Disney. But if they have, hey, you only have this mini series, and this is what we want to put in it. I don't know. We don't know what happened in the background of it. But with the time that they're given, I feel like they really just drop the ball in terms of having Boba Fett have this redemption arc. Can you have Boba Fett have a redemption arc and be this neutral guy who wants to be a crime boss with no crime, which I don't I don't really understand that, but you have to, you have to write it correctly and you have to direct it uh, in a way where we understand that. No, I didn't understand till like the seventh, the final episode, where I was like, "Oh, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want crime at all. He just wants to be a boss." Yeah, and I think that's one of my biggest problems with the series is that even if they kept things the exact way, the exact story they wrote, one of my biggest problems with it is that we didn't find out. Boba Fett's character motivations till episode four is the first time he starts explaining to Fennec why he wants to be Daimyo of Tatooine, what he wants to do with that position. And like you were saying, even more in episode seven, why are episode four and episode seven, the episodes we're learning his whole motivation behind the plot? Isn't that something you should be learning from episode one? to invest in this guy? Why, why do I care what he's doing if I don't know why he's doing it? And it's not even a compelling mystery to unfold. It's not like his motivations are some big reveal that totally changed the context of the show. I can see if that would be compelling, but... Right, yeah. I feel like... Yeah, I feel like half the creators wanted to do something else and then the other half wanted to do another thing. It's the whole thing with the sequels again, where you have different directors being on set and being in control. Yes, is John Favreau writing most of them? I think he yeah, wrote all of them. But yeah, if he wrote all of them, then it's on him as well. I think Dave Filoni um, co-wrote episode six with him, but I think he wrote the rest of them. Yeah. Which is even has, worse. Which does suck. John Favreau, he's a very good writer, but he has had some misses, let's be honest. Certain films. Iron Man 2, I'm going to call out, but that wasn't totally his fault. Not totally his fault. That was Marvel's fault for making him shoehorn too much in there. But who's to say Disney didn't do the same thing? I can see yeah. multiple aspects of this season where I'm like, okay, well, he was setting up a story for, well, Boba Fett and other side characters in Mandalorian season two. And I can see how Disney was like, mm, no, we don't really care for how you built out the world here. So get more of this guy. Yeah, a bit more of that. <laughs> let's uh, let's reverse for this guy a there. little bit. Forget what you were doing, because the bottom line is mm -hmm. certain things are profitable and you tried to get rid of them. Yeah, so. I have two gripes with this series. They're really the only gripes that I have with them. And it's the character of Boba Fett does not feel the same as he did in the second season of Mandalorian. Because at the very end, he literally just shoots Bib Fortuna in the face, throws him down off the throne, and doesn't say anything. That's the badass that people want. And then you get, you come into 
this series and he's like, I just want every crime lord, I want you to stay neutral. I'm not going to give you anything, but I just want you to stay neutral, stay out of this fight, just out of respect. And then that worked great for him. That didn't work great out for him either. And it's not like you can't do that. You can do that, but it has to be written in a way where we understand why he wants to do that. And it has to be executed in a way that we can understand why he does that. He does have a lot of badass moments in this show. Yeah. Where he can be badass and he, and he does murder a bunch of people. One of my favorite scenes in the show. Yeah. With the, with his but ship just, riding in the, yeah. Basically my review of this show is it's a beautiful mess. If you're just going into it with high expectations, you're going to be disappointed with some of it, with some of it. But if you go into it, if you're going into it with low expectations, just looking for something to watch on like a cool Friday afternoon, I'd say pop it in. It's entertaining enough. Sure. Once every five years. It's not a bad show. There's a lot worse shows out there. It's just, it's not what it promised itself to be. Yeah, for sure. If you're a Star Wars fan, you watch the movies, the TV shows, whatever. If you're a Star Wars fan, absolutely do watch it, at least episodes five and six. But, you know, if you're just a casual person, never seen Star Wars in your life, oh, I just know the movies, I don't read the books, play the games whatever this is my first star wars tv show eh i don't know if it's for you no this is definitely not a first if you're trying to go into the series this is not a first thing to oh oh, no go into (laughs) yeah 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 i should have clarified better but yeah that's okay for sure now i will say going back to what you were saying before about him having badass moments on the reverse of that one thing i did like about this show was how vulnerable Boba Fett was as a character. Now, one of my main complaints about the Mandalorian is he wears literal plot armor. A lot of scenes in the Mandalorian feel like they don't have stakes when someone more vulnerable like Grogu isn't there because the dude can literally walk into a hail of gunfire and he's just fine, like every time. But Boba Fett gets his ass kicked on multiple occasions in this show he has to go into a back to tank, basically sleeps in a back to tank just to heal all his injuries up. Like the guy is vulnerable. He's not as young as Din Djarin. And I guess maybe his armor is not as powerful or maybe there's more gaps in it or something. Or maybe it's just the way they wrote. I heard apparently it's not full Beskar is uh, oh, yeah, armor. Okay. I think it's like half and half. It's impure. Okay. The purity. It's his father's armor. Whatever they did with him, he's more vulnerable, which adds more stakes, and I like that. Mm -hmm. If we're comparing to The Mandalorian, that is one thing it does do better. Plus, how good must you feel coming out of a back-to-tank? You must feel so good coming out of that. Unless you're him and you have to do it, like, multiple times because his skin was just rotted. But you must feel excellent coming out of it. Yeah, I want one. Would you want one? like Boba Fett has where you, you sleep in it laying horizontal, or would you want one more like uh, Luke Skywalker and empire strikes back where you're just like floating in the tank? Oh, floating. Absolutely. You want the floater? I want to be on full display. <laughs> Perfect. Also, I don't want to be lying down where, you know, a bounty hunter can just come in and open it up 
and then throw me on the ground. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the vertical one is safer. Probably. And it looks cooler. For sure. Shall we move on to uh, some more, I guess, technical aspects of the show? Yep. Sure. Yeah, so on the whole, the filmmaking was adequate. Didn't blow me away. Didn't take me out of it too much, except for yeah, some scenes in the, I think it was the third episode in the seventh episode. Some, some of Robert Rodriguez's action, I, I hate to call him out, like the, the speeder bike chase and a lot of the action in episode seven, Yes. which, okay, the action in episode seven was, it was okay, but it went on too long. I didn't need a whole hour of wall-to-wall action. It's weird because he's, my opinion on Robert Rodriguez is he's very half and half director where it's like, he's not terrible, but he's not that impressive i haven't seen his old movies i hear they were pretty groundbreaking for well maybe not groundbreaking but he used to be very inventive with action and apparently Mm -hmm. he was like that's where he got his start was in gritty action movies and that would have been on paper a perfect fit for boba fett and he did a great job in episode six of mandalorian season two i still remember vividly boba killing all those stormtroopers with his gaffy stick and like that was a fantastic scene that was fantastic yeah he didn't do anything like that in the mandalor in uh, boba fett no and there's a i don't want to spoil it just yet but there's a scene where he has a final confrontation with a certain character and this is more on the editing side of it where it's really weird when he beats him up and the guy's on the ground and there's a lot of like fade in and fade out cuts i don't know if you noticed that i can't just, say i noticed it offhand but if i rewatch it i should i remember watching it being like what are we doing this show is known for having like some pretty good like one takes and like taking in the atmosphere and when you have a bunch of cuts like that it takes me out of it you can't connect to the moment that moment felt a little rushed to me and it's disappointing because you know in a bit which character i'm talking about yeah now, see, then there's other bits like, well, like you keep saying, you, you allude to your favorite action scene. And that was one of your favorite scenes of the whole show was, I think, in episode four. There's this revenge sequence where, you know, with Boba Fett flying Slave One. And that's one of the most memorable sequences in the whole show. And there's also so this um, train heist from episode two, mm-hmm. I think it was. That was a very memorable scene as well. But the show wasn't very heavy on the action. <laughs> there was, except for the last episode, which, like I said, went on too long. It's like they didn't do enough buildup, so everything had to happen at the last minute. No. And most of it was just, okay, you know, I, I need me some character work and emotional investment. I can't just have an hour of wall-to-wall action. You know, I, I'm a defender of Man of Steel, but it's Man of Steel syndrome all over again. The whole back half of the movie is just one big action scene, and uh, you lose something from that. As cool well, as it least, is. At least there's some stakes in Man of Steel because people die in that movie and no one dies in this. True. So I'll give Man of Steel that. I know people hated it. But listen, this is almost 10 years later, Man of Steel. Man of Steel's good. I like that movie. People can die. It's okay, DC fans. People have come around on it. I, I like to put on record I was always a defender of Man of Steel. I, I love that movie. I'm sure we'll talk about I'm sure we'll talk about DC in a later episode yeah there's a lot to say there uh maybe on one of our 
defending franchises episodes, mm. but uh, gets a lot of unfair hate for some early missteps. For sure. Back to Boba Fett. I, I don't know if it was if I call it good or bad exactly, but I noticed Jabba's palace felt a lot emptier. Uh, if we're talking filmmaking, yes. Still. Maybe it was something they did differently with the set. Maybe it's because there's not as many alien creatures or music or liveliness or it's just compared to Return of the Jedi, Jabba's palace felt like a dead setting. Booming. Booming? It was, it was booming. It was booming with <laughs> yeah. people. Seemed like the place to be. But here, it's just two people. And a robot. And a robot who's not a protocol droid. But then later on, he can translate a little bit. So it doesn't make that much sense. It's just kind of dead and lifeless and... Kind of like the show. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little harsh. Just, just say it like it is, man. Oh, man. So one other bit of CGI. I'm just, once again, touching around it. Don't want to get too far into spoilers. But there is one bit of CGI where it was very impressive to me. It was in episode six. And... They meet this character and just the CGI work they did on that character is exceptional. Uh, really, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like that. It's, it's crazy. I think it's phenomenal. There are some scenes where it's a little, it's yeah, a little finicky. It's a little fake. But like way more impressive than what they did have done previously. And there were some scenes where I was like, oh my God, this is perfect. They really put the time and the money into doing it. And I don't I don't want to bring it up now, but they hired someone who did it on YouTube. Who knew like, what they were doing. Bunch, who knew what they were doing. The most famous guy to do it. And they hired, Disney hired him and was like, okay, we're going to give you millions of dollars to make this perfect. Really made a difference. I didn't, I didn't know how much yeah. it would work, but it's honestly... I know this might sound like hyperbole, but I think it may be one of the best visual effects I've ever seen in something. No, I would, I would agree. It's, it's unbelievable. Moving on to our uh, opinions on the general writing and story of the series. So in terms of structure, I know they didn't really go with the whole Godfather thing that, that the show was pitching itself as. But one thing I did find pretty Godfathery in the very beginning was the split timelines thing. It reminds me of Godfather mm -hmm. Part 2 with the rise of Vito Corleone in, in one timeline and Michael's reign as the Godfather in, in the modern timeline. So with Boba as in the Tusken Raiders and Boba in Mas Espa, I got uh, those similar vibes from that. And I think it was probably I wouldn't be surprised if it was directly inspired from Godfather Part 2. For sure. Yeah, it's just like, I can't bring it up yet, but Episode 5 and 6 are probably some of the best Star Wars media that come out in recent years. Agreed. You could even put it up there of all time. Agreed. But in terms of just the Boba Fett stuff, it's almost like they didn't really know what they wanted to do with him, or they wanted to keep it a bit mystery it's definitely more of a yeah the mystery wasn't really worth it if that's what they were going for no it's definitely more of a visual media than it is trying to be an an intellectual one true and the visuals well like we were saying they were hit or miss yeah some, some parts really good 
some parts eh, could have been a little more polished. Yeah, but other than other than that, it's average. It's not too bad. Now, the best part about Boba Fett as a character, I think, is his arc with the Tuscans. I think he got the most character development there. You know, he learned to be part of a tribe and that gave him motivation for some of his actions later in the series after that plot line ended. That Tuscan bit was, it, it arguably gave the best Boba Fett moments in the show because I don't think he really did anything that noteworthy in his modern timeline as the daimyo. No. It's funny because his most interesting like story arc is when he was with the Tusken Raiders. And that was the more interesting aspect where I kind of see where they were going for, where he learned respect from them and learned to get people's respect. But when you're trying to run a crime empire and have no, have no crime whatsoever, it's not going to work out. Just not going to happen. But I can, I can see what they were going for. Yeah. Also off that point, he's not just trying to be a crime lord with no crime, but he took over the top crime lord spot with no backup. <laughs> Except for God, you're right. one person. Well, you don't need backup when you got Finnick Shand. Let's be clear. She's a one woman army. She really is. Well, let's, talk, right. let's talk about Finnick a little bit. Yeah, we've talked about Boba Fett enough. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's he's the main character, but there's other people too. He's not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Fennec was a little disappointing to me too, to be honest, because... Oh, really? Yeah, because I had hoped that, you know, Bubba was the main character of the show and however they handled him, whatever. But I always thought Fennec was going to be, you know, his right-hand woman and the major supporting character of the show and I feel like she was pretty much just like Boba Fett in the original trilogy. She stood around, looked cool, did some badass things, and dipped out. Like she wasn't even in the last episode, really. Yeah. And I'm like, man, if she's the major supporting character and even she barely got any... Yeah. The most character development she got was in the episode she was unconscious for most of it. <laughs> in episode four. Yeah. Which was a decent episode. Yeah. Like, it was a good episode, but they just... They didn't do enough... To make her a stand, like the Bad Batch did more with her in one episode, into one 20 minute episode than this seven episode miniseries. Yeah. I've always, again, they had some weird focus on the show. I didn't know what they exactly they were going for. But I think her betrayal as just like the badass bounty hunter who doesn't really give two craps about anybody and who always like try to defend boba who's loyal i think it's interesting but you can't really go off off more off of like i can't speak that's all you that's all they gave us that's all they really gave us so and we knew much, that already there's not much character development there and we already knew like who she was so there's not much growth in terms of that character but it's not like they diminished who she was i will say though giving her like the final kill at the end of the show was a little weird I felt like that should have been Boba. It bothered me more after the fact, not so much as I was watching it. Yeah. There's a lot of things like that where I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 it's fine. As I'm and then you think about it. Wait, wait a minute. Like, no, that doesn't work. 
Yeah, that's that's weird, isn't it? The funny thing is, even though they dropped the ball on on Boba and Fennec Shan, I thought they did okay introducing the new characters like the mods and Chrysanthemum. Just in this series, I, I get, mm-hmm. or even uh, what what's her name like Garza Whip. Uh, she ran the cantina. The cantina. Yeah. Yeah. Like some of the new characters, I'm like, okay, you know, I, I knew absolutely nothing about you. This is your first introductions. And in, in well, actually, I think that Chrysanthemum had some comic books or something where he fought Obi-Wan. Yeah, he's supposed, yeah, he's been around in like comics, like fighting Obi-Wan, but, and it's, it's like diehard, like comic book fans who, who, who know of him. And I, when he like, came on screen i was like i recognize him and you do have to look him up because you don't really know much about him he's just an evil wookie he's an evil chewbacca but he's also not so it's not much he's got like vibro black <laughs> brass knuckles he's got electric brass knuckles yeah which are pretty badass yeah i do like those but you know there's some some characters where you just they can just be simple and it's not it's not terrible, but, you know, it's just a lot. I think that's why I liked him, because it was a simple premise that they, they pulled off as well as they could have. They didn't yeah. need a deep character arc for Chrysanthemum. He was just, well, like you said, evil Chewbacca. He was a brawler. He had some jobs to do, and that was it. He had, <laughs> he had to get shit done, you know? It's the time of the Empire, you know? You gotta put food on the table, you know? can't complain about your job you gotta do what you gotta do you know what the most ironic thing is i'm just realizing right now yeah is that this whole show all the supporting characters are basically like boba fett was in the original trilogy they're all stoic badasses who just like who just do their jobs and and get out and don't really have any development but they look cool and they do a couple of cool things except for some of the mods yeah (laughs) the one mod the main girl she's got the tiniest gun in the entire star wars universe and they make a joke about it in the seventh episode but it's just also like why do you have that you're gonna take on a giant army with that sure go for it it's not like she couldn't even afford it because she's she's with boba has a lot of money he already did admit that yeah so she didn't need to go in fighting with that. Oh, that's another thing, too. Oh, I didn't want to go on a tangent, but he's like, I have plenty of credits. From where? Where are you getting this money? I don't understand. Maybe it was Bib Fortuna's stuff, but I don't know. Now, off the top of my head, I'd say either it was Jabba's stock or Bib Fortuna's stock, or maybe even his own from being a legendary bounty hunter. It was dad's money. <laughs> maybe. I mean, he, he probably had to get that somewhere. True. I mean, he's, he's been in the business a long time and he did take over from a really rich person. But also, I want to say that after Jabba fell, there probably would have been some chaos. And I don't know if Bib Fortuna oh, sure. could have held all that money. Just no. Because like However. we see in the Mandalorian. Yeah. No, go ahead. No, I was because like we see in the Mandalorian, Tatooine kind of went to crap after Jabba <clears throat> After Jabba died, the streets are abandoned. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool in Mandalorian season one coming back to Tatooine. And it's like, oh, after Jabba's gone, this place kind of went to crap. <laughs> so, yeah. So I don't know if Bib could have maintained 
a safe with all that kind of money. Well, there were some average characters slash disappointing characters, and then they were amazing ones. Let's get into spoilers now. Let's just we're getting into spoilers. It's been long enough. You know it. Let's just do it. Mando's back. Luke Skywalker, Mandalorian, Luke Skywalker. <laughs> They're all there. So in episode five, we get probably the best thing that Bryce Dallas Howard has directed in terms of Star Wars. I even know it was her until the f- final credits popped up, and I sc- I screamed in joy, and I thought, "Holy crap! Good for you!" Give this woman a movie. I didn't know he was actually showing up. I thought they were just doing a little hint, and then that opening scene in in episode five is just master filmmaking. It really is. He he. Before even coming through like the doorway, you see his silhouette. It's almost like he knew people were going to scream when they saw his silhouette. And then the f- and then he says his famous line, and then he does... Take you, you know, in warm, like, or I can take you in cold. Great line. And then he pulls out, you know, his Darksaber. He, you know, he gets injured. That whole, that whole episode is just... It's amazing. And you see the character growth from season one to two to here, because... Yes, he still believes in his Mandalorian ways and his, you know, his creed like this is the way. But I sense a little bit of doubt in his own clan there, which his clan is two people. It's the armorer and the the big guy from season one. Yeah. And she full on, we could do a whole episode in season five and six, but I'm just trying to rush through it a bit. She full on asks him, have you ever take off? taking off your mask and he's so hesitant to say it that he does because he knows what's going to happen and but he he admits the truth and he's excommunicated right away he has nowhere to go so where does he go to well first he goes to get a ship Let, let's be clear he goes to get a ship right that ship i love that ship the n1 starfighter is amazing yeah i didn't know they were going to pull it off and the way the like the color coding that they did it fits him very well it was weird that they did like a 20 minute montage of them building the ship don't even care don't even care in a boba fett show but let it be i love it regardless with one i don't know her name but it she's a very weird character amy sedaris i know i know the actor's name is like amy sedaris but amy sedaris she she does an okay job i think that she gets too much leeway of like improv funny lines but she's cartoonish that's just a that's a personal opinion and then Everyone gets a shocker in season six when we open to freaking Grogu sitting across from Luke Skywalker. Now you go. Oh boy. So this is a little controversial, but I wasn't the biggest fan of episode five till about halfway through. I know that's like blasphemy now, probably, but my problem was great first opening scene, like you said. Uh, you know, really sucked me in. I'm like, oh, wow, this is great. You know, Mandalorian. Like there was that um, there was that instrumental cue with his with his theme at the end of episode four. And it's like, oh, well, they're yeah, they're probably bringing in Din Djarin. Cool. But about halfway through, <laughs> I think it was maybe when he gets to Tatooine and then he's just hanging out with Amy Sedaris making a starship. I'm like, Boba Fett's not even going to be in this episode, is he? No, nope. <laughs> I'm like, this is just oh. an episode of The Mandalorian. I completely forgot. This is 
just small a tangent, there's a BD unit that shows up, and I flipped my, my oh, yeah, yeah. crap. I lost it. It's from the game Fallen Order. I wonder if, if, if it's know, that BD. No, it because he just said because he just says BD in the game. It's BD one, so I don't I don't think it's the same one. If it is, that's kind of weird. But well, I mean, this is like I don't know. It's like it's a while. It's a while. Twenty years, fifteen. Yeah, it might be that one. I mean, like it might be, but the R five astromech droid from a new hope a ended up with her too. So yeah, it's a different uh color scheme than like the original color scheme of the in the one in the game but once again like that there's precedent for that too c-3po changed colors between That's attack true. of the clones and revenge of the city he went from yeah you can get a paint job in five years anyway or 15 years he went from like wires to silver to gold and That's in, true. in a couple of years so there is precedent for paint for paint even in the game you could change his paint job yeah which i've done yeah <laughs> so it might be him and in which case what the heck happened to cal who knows? But that's uh. I think we all know. I think we all know what happened. <laughs> he's dead. <laughs> he's gotta be. He's gotta be dead by by this timeline. Who even knows at this point, man? Because I remember back in 2008 when the Clone Wars movie first came out, and it's like, well, who who the hell is Ahsoka Tano? Anakin never had an apprentice in Revenge of the Sith, so she's got to be dead by the time we get there, right? Well, no, because <laughs> so. It's easy to say, yeah, Cal is probably for sure dead by this point, but also there is precedent for him it's not. true. So I'm like, just based on my own experiences with Ahsoka, I'm like, I can't say that for certain. And speaking of Ahsoka, she makes a quick little Ben Kenobi cameo in episode six, talks to, talks to Denton Jardin, talks to, talks to Luke a bit. You know, she's definitely has that presence of, I don't know what her age is. She's definitely up there. I don't know what the age span for her race is, but she's up there. She's definitely the old, like, wise master. She's doing some math in my head. She's probably, like, 60, maybe 50 at least. I want to say she was, like, 16, 17 when the Clone Wars ended. And then, yeah, like, so... and then like, the originals were 20 years after that. So she was, like, 40 in Rebels. Yeah. And this is another... And... 12 years after that so she's like in her 50s now i guess and it's rosario dawson i thought she did okay in season two of the mandalorian but this is where i finally was like okay she gets the character she understands that she's a bit older and she has she's still got a bit of a snarky side to her and when she says that line to luke about you're so much like your father and luke gives her him gives her that look because he still doesn't really know how to feel about that i just think it's season six season six episode six it's top tier it's top tier star wars it's written by john it's directed by dave filoni because he's got he's got a couple characters in this episode that he helped create so who else to direct it but him i don't know if we should talk about him yet I just have a few more rants to go on a bit. Right. Okay, so I going back a bit, I, I never finished what I was going to say about episode five. So I did end up liking the episode once I realized, okay, it's a Mandalorian episode. My expectations have been flipped. So now I can enjoy it. And then episode six happened and I realized it was going to be pretty much the same thing. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, 
as someone who wants to enjoy the book of Boba Fett, this is weird, but like you were saying, this is top tier Star Wars, what they did with it. I, I'm not going to complain about it much. <laughs> Just, I can't complain about the episodes. Although it's weird how they did that in the context of the overall show. Now, just as a counterpoint to the Ahsoka meeting Luke thing, as much as I love that moment, I was admittedly disappointed that that moment means we're probably not going to get to see the moment they actually met. And Mm. I, I did want to see that. As glad as I am that we got that moment, that also means we're probably not going to get that other moment. And I'm like, ah, (laughs) I don't know. That's true. That would have been interesting to see. What would I take instead? Would you rather have this moment where they already know each other? Oh, you're, you're a lot like your dad. Or would you rather have seen them met for the first time at their first meeting? I don't know. That's a good point. You know, I either or I think it would have been fine with. I think it was handled decently here. And their first meeting would have been really cool to see. They might do that in the Ahsoka show. Who knows? Maybe. Or Mando season three. Who knows if they have that even planned. But they do They do, do <laughs> re-meetings, that's what I'll say, from past characters who know each other. Really weird in here. Yeah. And <sighs> I want to say it, but I'm not going to say it yet. I'll just go on one slight more tangent before we get to that thing I, you're you're mm-hmm. dying to say it so i was reading and maybe you knew this already but mark hamill doesn't voice luke skywalker in this series or even the mandalorian apparently that's a computer generated voice that they made in some software using some footage uh audio recordings of mark hamill in the 70s and 80s and they synthesized that and as much as i love seeing luke skywalker you know like he's building his new jedi order that's like this is the Luke Skywalker I always wanted to see post Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Screw the Last Jedi, but <laughs> it was weird to me hearing him speak because, as cool as it was, there was a part of me that's like, okay, his face looks good, but now his voice sounds a little strange to me. Like, is Mark Hamill phoning it in or what? I thought they were doing because I think they did credit him in the credits, saying it was him. I mean, but, it was his voice they synthesized, so like, yeah, te- technically so it was. It technically was. I bet he tried his best, because he is an amazing voice actor. He tried to sound like a younger version of himself, and they definitely tried to pitch it up a little bit, and there's some parts where it's spot on, and there's some parts where it's a little finicky. But other than that, you know, and they do it. I read that they it was 100% synthesized, though, in Mandalorian, okay. in the Mandalorian as well, actually. It did not sound good in The Mandalorian. <laughs> I'll just say that. Because it, it was 100% computerized, which is yeah very strict. We're getting into this weird, uncanny alley place with actors now where Mark Hamill wasn't even on set for this one. There's an actor playing him. His face is deep faked. We're, yeah. we're pulling 40-year-old audio recordings of him to make his voice. And then Gosh. they're also doing that with... Uh, Peter Cushing and and uh, Carrie Fisher in Rogue One and who knows what other movies Ugh. are going to start doing this. We're getting into this place now where it's like, okay, it's I'm starting. Yeah, it's dangerous. I'm starting to get freaked out it's now. Very dangerous. Because I'm like, yeah, if it- you can make a movie starring, I don't know, Humphrey Bogart or oh god, some famous actor from Hollywood past or even I don't know, young Tom Cruise when he's finally they bring they bring Orson Welles back. Orson Welles. Uh, who else um 
Audrey Hepburn, whatever. <laughs> yeah. We're starting to get to that point where people still know these legends names and yeah, it's that ah. like, for example, if let's say Boba Fett does get a season two and maybe they'll want to go further. Maybe they'll want to reignite his rivalry with Han Solo. And in that case, do you age up Alden Ehrenreich or do you just have a CGI version of Harrison Ford? They're probably just going to do CGI Harrison Ford at this point. That's true. Because they, they tried the recast direction and that movie didn't do well and people lose their freaking minds over deep fake Luke Skywalker, no. not even voiced by Mark Hamill. So forget Harrison Ford, who's way too expensive to bring on set, do voice mm-hmm. recordings and de-age. Let's just hire a body stand-in that looks like him. Just hire Sebastian Stan to do Luke Skywalker. It's what the fans want. It's what he wants. He kind of looks like him. Just do it. I think we're past that point, man. We are past it. The CGI is so good now. They're they're not going to bother going back. Yeah. The way they shot it was very smart, though, because there a lot of him talking is off screen. So they didn't want to, like, risk it. So that's what was smart about it. My camera's about to die, so that's cool. Again, I only have one battery. Let's talk about uh, the guy you want to talk about and uh, wrap it up, maybe. So the biggest character to come out of this is Cad Bane. Yep. Growing up with the prequels and the Clone Wars show, I lost it. As soon as he popped up on screen, way far back, you see the hat, you see his flaps, immediately my brain went to him. In his introduction, his little standoff against the Marshal, there's no music, it's perfectly directed, and he's just the same badass as he always been. He is what Boba should have been during the show. He is exactly what it is. There are some, there's some dialogue options between, or options, um, dialogue lines between him and Boba that weren't really written very well, and I felt like they could have had a better back and forth a little bit, but him, his introduction, him coming back, and his maybe death? Maybe? Maybe. Because there's a beep on his little heart monitor when he gets, uh, stabbed at the very end. That's the weird editing I was talking about earlier. I see. But, I see. But man, he—he's he's a presence. Great. He's a presence. He's old, but he's great. He's old and still faster than Boba Fett, as he made a point of showing. I'm I'm older, but I'm still faster than you. So, oh. but I've got armor. Yes, you do, Boba. The thing about Cad Bane is, I wish they brought him in very early on in the series. Mm-hmm. I, I think he should have been the show's main bat. Like the Pikes are, they're okay. I I get that they were sprawling all across Tatooine and it was, and they were causing trouble and they set that up. Okay. But because they're this monolithic corporation, it's like fighting CGI robots or whatever. It's like, I don't have any investment in the Pikes as, as a group, but Cad Bane as their spokesman, I would have liked to see that earlier because it's like, oh, a guy I know or who's at least way more charismatic than the rest of the Pikes. If you've never seen Cad Bane before, then that would gravitate. That would make the threat feel way more real way earlier on if they could have done that. 100%. And also he has a rivalry with Boba Fett going back to apparently unfinished episodes of the Clone Wars. I've seen. That's where he gets his dent. Yeah. Yeah, they end up in a shootout. and um... 
I honestly thought they were going to reference that and like make that canon, and they didn't. I was like, here's the perfect opportunity for. But I think they kind of roughly did. They like roughly did, but they didn't want to be like too on the nose with it. But they clearly knew each other already. Yeah, because they had a history already. So that had to be it. Yeah, I think there's like an episode where. In the Clone Wars, maybe where Cad Bane meets like young Boba Fett, but I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. I can't remember off the top of my head. I don't remember seeing it, but they do kind of roughly like. They don't want to be too on the nose of it, and I, I understand why they didn't want to be too on the nose of it, but it didn't feel, it didn't feel. I don't know if authentic is the word, but. No, I see. I see where you're coming from there. Authentic. It didn't feel like gratifying, gratifying enough. Because they brought him in at the very last second. If they sure. if they if they established this rivalry at the very start, I, I would have bought into it as like this epic thing at the end. But they're trying to play it like it's this epic rematch to a fight we never saw. Mm-hmm. So it does lose something because of that. Yeah, I hope he comes back. But if he doesn't, I wouldn't be surprised. Because I think his his send off. Boba Fett killing Cad Bane is not a bad send-off for the character, but the way it was edited and the way it was kind of shot... Like, oh, that's it. Just, that's it? That's how he it goes out? Didn't feel great. So I can see him coming back, maybe in Mandalorian. That's basically all I have on characters. Except for, you know, the Marshall... The Marshall oh, being... Yeah. Marshall being... Just the marshal, just being you know charismatic guy protecting Freetown. Timothy Oliphant's awesome in that role. Yeah, he's just cool, and I'm glad they didn't kill him off. No, which was a weird end credit scene to have. It's almost just like, really, that's it. Cyborg Vanth. Yeah, we didn't talk about Din Djarin at all yet. Kind of said he had a cool introduction, but we didn't talk yeah. about his character development at all. I did a little bit. Not too much, though. When he was talking about taking the mask off or whatever, but... You were telling me this the other day, but it might hurt Mandalorian Season 3 because he had mm-hmm. so much He had so much to do here between finding Grogu and getting his next mission set up and, and everything in these three episodes of Boba Fett that when Mandalorian Season 3 comes out, for anybody who didn't see Book of Boba Fett, it's like, well, what the hell happened? There's a new ship. They're back together. It's weird. And we didn't really talk about Grogu, but he he does learn some things. And in the final battle, he not only helps fight the the big droids that can't hit a hit a target, can't hit anybody, helps calm down a certain a certain animal rancor. Rancor that is running rampant. Um, I don't really want to talk about season, uh, not season seven. I keep seeing seasons, but the final episode that much because there's just so much of just blatant action that happens. That's all it is. That's all it is. And like a confrontation with Cad Bane and, you know, Grogu meets uh, Din Djarin again. And that was a sweet but moment. The, a hu- the, hug, the hug. The was, hug. Uh, that was... I almost teared up. Yeah, that, that was great. That's what sucks about this because there's so much character development and great storytelling between Mando, Mando and Grogu. But it's not a a great show. They were and the if, best part of the show that wasn't their show. And if people ask me, should I watch Boba Fett? I would honestly just tell them watch five, five six, or seven. seven. That's it. Just for these two. 
And yes, Boba, like, they're a little standoff. Mando and Boba, when they're fighting everybody and they're getting shot at. The action's really cool, but like you said, it is plot armor. And they do feel like, to them, it feels like they are getting hurt, like, a little bit. They do get down on their knees, like, they are taking... Yeah. Oh, no, I'm winded. And Boba Fett riding in on the Rancor. That was cool. Yeah. But it wasn't really set up that well, so... Overall... This series was either beautiful, some of the best it was, or it was a huge mess. That's basically what I have to say for it. Oh, yeah. I also wanted to talk about a bit about Luke Skywalker again and say that I'm not a huge fan of how they handled him making that choice with Grogu saying, oh, you can have Yoda's lightsaber or you can have this chainmail armor that mm. the Mandalorian gave you. I don't like that they made Luke give an ultimatum like that because... Yeah. Okay, well, first of all, it sets him more on the path of The Last Jedi where he starts repeating the mistakes of the past and blah, blah, blah. I, I really don't like that story because the whole point of Luke Skywalker was that, well, the Jedi in the prequels were dogmatic in their beliefs and they believed attachment screwed you over and it would turn you to the dark side. But in the original trilogy, Luke proved that, you know, attachment to... Leia and Han and even Anakin in the end, like it was his attachments that saved the day in the end. Mm -hmm. And when Yoda told him, no, stay back and train, he, he went. And maybe that was a mistake at the time, but it was probably a good idea in the grand scheme because it, it made him a more well-rounded person. Now to see him make that kind of ultimatum, the, the person who basically raised you and that you're attached to or the Jedi way, it makes Luke character look kind of dumb because he, it's like he's regressing on lessons he should already know at this point. Yeah. I see where you're coming from, but I also feel like he is a little bit influenced by his teachings from Yoda. Like he wants to respect Yoda and also maybe Ahsoka said something to him. I think about forming attachments or whatever and how that can be dangerous. Like he has some doubts about teaching Grogu. Like he doesn't He's not fully thinking like, is this, am I the best option for him? Or he's not confident in himself as a teacher. And you kind of see that. And I guess he's, he's more afraid of, he's probably, you know, reading the books that was in the back and he's trying to be respectful to the religion. And I think he, he knows the attachment stuff is, is not didn't work in the past but i don't think he fully grasped grasps that i that ideal until uh way too late <laughs> until way too late until last jedi and you know to be fair if i was grogu i would take the chain mail and then as i was leaving i would <laughs> i would take you with a lightsaber too because be like Bye. hey no one else is gonna use this it's a toothpick you're gonna who are you gonna give that to it's the tiny lightsaber, but maybe he'll get it later on. Who knows? Also, can we talk about <laughs> Grogu's little pimp walk as he's walking out onto the battlefield? <laughs> he had, like, a little, like, swagger to him. Waddling in. As he's walling to the rancor, like, okay, buddy. You're gonna chill out. But anyway. Is he wearing a Mandalorian pendant? That's awesome. He is. I like that. Apparently you can take it off, but it's not gonna fit on anyone else's neck. Okay, so I see what you're saying about Luke. Uh, I'm not sure I'm 
convinced still, but I, I see where you're coming from. I see where maybe Filoni and Favreau were coming from. Mm-hmm. They have to tie it into the sequel somehow. Unfortunately. Unless. Unless. Because you told me there's a theory. A theory. I'll, uh, I'll just cover that theory quickly because my battery's dying on my laptop. Oh, no. So I guess we got to wrap up faster, but I'll just, I'll go through it as fast as I can. So basically, and this is a spoiler for Rebel Season 4 if you haven't seen it. So skip ahead to, uh, well, I'll throw in an audio cue for where to skip to. So in Rebel Season 4, Ezra Bridger goes into the world between worlds and pulls out Ahsoka Tano from her fight from Darth Vader, right? Yeah. <laughs> the thing about that is fans have figured out that the Star Wars timeline flows very differently depending on whether Ahsoka lived or Ahsoka died in that moment. If Ahsoka died, then she never would have met Din Djarin in season two of The Mandalorian. And she never would have told him to go to that rock to where Grogu meditated to call out to his own kind. If she never told him about that and Grogu never called out, Luke Skywalker never would have shown up to save everybody at the end of Mandalorian season two, and they probably would have died. Therefore, Moff Gideon would have stayed in possession of the Darksaber and of Grogu, and the future of the Mandalorians probably would have stayed scattered, dispersed, and just generally awful. Now, that's all happened if Ahsoka died. Ahsoka, oh yes, and there's also that bit about in one of the Marvel comic books in Disney canon, they clearly say that Ben Solo was Luke Skywalker's first apprentice after Return of the Jedi, clearly say that. And that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way when he took Grogu because they're like, okay, is Disney contradicting their own canon? And this makes no sense. Why would you say unequivocally Ben Solo was Luke Skywalker's first apprentice, but then, oh no, really it's Grogu. But then people kind of pointed it out and they're like, okay, well, in this timeline where Ahsoka lives, well, maybe... Din Djarin's in possession of the Darksaber. Maybe he can reunite the Mandalorians. Maybe they'll be a force in the galaxy by the time the First Order comes by. Maybe Luke getting to teach Grogu will teach him his mistakes so that he doesn't mess up being Ben's teacher by the time Ben Solo is his apprentice. And maybe that'll save the Jedi Order. And like, so basically the ripple effect of Ahsoka living versus dying at the exact moment Ezra Bridger pulled her out of the world between worlds can create a ripple effect, which may overwrite the entire sequel trilogy if they play it out. Just based on Disney's own canon, how they've contradicted themselves in that one moment of Ahsoka living versus dying. And maybe they're backtracking on it now. I don't know. Maybe Luke making that ultimatum and Grogu not choosing the Jedi way. Well, maybe we're playing through that. Maybe that's him learning from his mistake for next time. Maybe that is what happened, but I do find that theory compelling. So in this theory, basically the sequels are set in an alternate timeline of Star Wars. They would still be canon, but not the only way the story has to go. And I do think, I would not put it past Dave Filoni to do something like that. For sure. I can see where you're coming from. It's Um, a very very compelling theory. I remember when that episode came out and I saw that I was like, is Star Wars really doing time travel? Exactly. And there's no, no con- there's been no consequences of that thus far, other than we know Ahsoka yeah. lived. 
But wouldn't it be so cool if that one moment had a ripple effect through all of Star Wars that reverberated into the sequel trilogy? Oh, yeah. And also the other thing is if Moff Gideon never got Grogu, well, then they never got to harvest his blood to make Snoke clones. Okay, so one more thing I wanted to cover. Oh, man. Did they, did this show kill off Max Rebo and figure in them? <laughs> I, I haven't seen this. I've anywhere. read somewhere that I haven't they seen this made anywhere. it out. They made it out. Okay. I heard, I read somewhere they made it out. If you guys don't know who that is, it's the band. It's the band from Jabba's Palace. It's the blue guy. And I think one of the, the, the guys weird... from the original Cantina and uh, New Hope. Yeah. And Dan and the modal nodes and Max Rebo. They're the only musical people in the Star Wars universe, except for the Ewoks. So I heard, I've read from a fan saying that may, they might have made it out. It's not conclusive. I want to rewatch episode seven because I think in episode seven, you see the burned out remains of the cantina where they make their base. And I think you see Garza Whip's body in the background, but I, I don't. Maybe, I don't know. You might see their bodies in the background and like, no, I shouldn't make that reference. That ruins everything. No, nope, that's that's probably uh, that's probably too dark. Too dark. Too dark for a podcast. I'll tell you later. Oh no. Yeah. So if they're dead, that's uh, that's a big blow to the musical side of Star Wars. I don't think I can watch Star Wars again if they're dead. I know. It's more sad than anything. Okay, so that'll do it for the first episode of Close Up. So basically, if if you're a Star Wars fan, watch it. Uh, if you're not, eh, five and six and seven for sure. If you want to understand, yeah, if you want to understand Mandalorian, you have to watch five, six, and seven. Yeah. Okay. So on the whole, we like it. We not. You know, for me, if I was going to give it a number, I'd give it probably like as a series as a whole, including the the awesome episodes. It's a it's like a five out of ten. It's just average. Like I wouldn't put it lower and i wouldn't put it that much higher i'd say worth as watch. It's, yeah because it's worth a watch if you're a star wars fan yeah it's just the series as a whole there's n- there's no like f- flow to it there's no like fluidity to it but it kind of bounces you know, back and forth okay i just gotta wrap up real fast because my laptop's on the red here so plug our, let's, let's plug our socials here well, you can follow me at Ryan Walker Official on TikTok and on Instagram. I do have a Twitter, but I don't really use it. Okay. Well, I don't really use personal social media very much, but uh, you can find further film discussion and entertainment reviews on thoughtplane.ca forward slash articles. And if you'd be so kind, you can support Thoughtplane Media on Patreon, link below. Also, be sure to leave us comments and reviews as that's a big help. And how about clicking that like button if you enjoyed this? We hope to see you on the next close up with Ryan and Joe. Till next time.